Uh, you're going to go to James 1 is where we're going to go uh, today. I want to finish up. There were three matters that I wanted to deal with. Uh, I felt like uh, topically, and I was uh, just praying about where the Lord would have me to go in relationship to these. Uh, of course, as we uh, began yesterday, I wanted to talk about uh, really uh, the anchors. I wanted to think about this in relationship to your theme. I was thinking about the anchor of perspective, having the right perspective on your marriage. Uh, so then we went to talk about the covenant versus the contract kind of marriage. And then I was thinking about the, the other anchor of forgiveness, absolutely essential. Uh, if you're going to be able to survive the storms of life and difficulties, you've got to learn to forgive. And then the, the third one I wanted to deal with in our uh, combined session uh, is the matter of communication. I think communication and talking to one another, being able to communicate properly is something that's absolutely essential. I think it's going to anchor your life. I think you can weather a lot of difficulties in your life uh, if you'll know how to properly communicate. You know, it, it's amazing to me that we're, we're so different, uh, that God made us so different and then put us together, uh, not to compete, but to complement one another, uh, to complete one another. And of course, we understand that we're really complete in Christ. Uh, that's really where our completion comes from. And so a spouse is not sufficient. Your spouse, your husband, your wife is not sufficient to meet all your needs. Uh, if you try and make your wife or your husband everything that you need, they will disappoint you and your marriage, you will feel like something's missing. Our completion is in Christ. It is not in putting the, the responsibility of making us everything we feel like we need to be. It's not found in our spouse. It is found in Christ. He is the one that completes us. So be careful about placing unrealistic expectations upon your wife, upon your husband, they cannot meet all of those needs. That can only be found in proper relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. And so make sure that that is a foundation. And as I was thinking about some things that uh, make us different, I was thinking about uh, some things I've read. I read about a radio station in Louisville uh, that had some fun at, at, some, at the men's expense when they talked about uh, what they said, what men really mean when they say. And uh, so, sorry guys, I'm going to reveal some of your secrets here in the next uh, couple minutes. First of all, what do men really mean when they say, it's a guy thing? Okay, it's a guy thing. It's a guy thing really means there's no rational thought pattern connected to it, and, if you, and you have no chance of making it logical at all. Okay, that's what it really means. Secondly, can I help with dinner? Really means, why isn't it already on the table? <laughs> Right? Uh-huh, sure, honey, or yes, dear, really means absolutely nothing. It's a conditioned male response. It would take too long to explain. Really means I have no idea how it works. We're going to be late. Really means now I have a legitimate excuse to drive like a maniac. Take a break, honey. You're working too hard. Really means I can't hear the game when you're running the vacuum. <laughs> Some of you have used that one. That's interesting, dear. Really means, are you still talking? <laughs> That's women's work. Really means it's difficult, dirty, and thankless. We share the housework. Really means I make the messes and she cleans them up. You know how bad my memory is. 
really means I remember the theme song to F Troop, the address of the first girl I ever kissed, the vehicle identification number of every car I've ever owned, but I forgot your birthday. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I'm stinking a little. Oh, don't fuss. I just cut myself. It's no big deal. Really means I have severed a limb but will bleed to death before I admit that I am hurt. <laughs> hey! I've got my reasons for what I'm doing. Really means, I sure hope I think of some pretty soon. <laughs> I can't find it. Really means, when I look in the refrigerator, I can't move the milk jug, because if the ketchup is not behind it, then the milk jug won. <laughs> Men are terrible at looking for things, by the way. You ask them to find something? We just walk into the middle of the room and go, no, it's not here. <laughs> what did I do this time? Really means, what did you just catch me doing? I heard you. Really means, I have the foggiest clue what you just said, and I'm desperately hoping that I can fake it well enough so that you don't spend the next three days yelling at me. Okay? What about women? Women have some common expressions that they use that are for, they're, they're just little things, but there's a whole lot more behind what they say. For example, a woman will say, are you willing to, which really means, you better do it. Okay? Sometimes they say, fine. This is the word women use to end an argument when they feel they're right and you need to shut up. Never use spine to describe how a woman looks. This will cause you to have one of those arguments. <laughs> Five minutes. Five minutes? This is a half hour. It's equivalent... It's equivalent to five minutes that your football game is going to last before you take out the trash so it's an even train. Right? How much time is left in the game? Five minutes. Yeah, this half hour. Nothing. This means something, and you should be on your toes. Nothing is usually used to describe the feeling a woman has of wanting to turn you inside out, upside down, and backwards. Nothing usually signifies an argument that will last five minutes and will end with the word fine. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. In parentheses, go ahead with raised eyebrows. Ahead. This is a dare. One that will result in a woman getting upset over nothing and will end with the word fine. <laughs> go ahead with normal eyebrows. That is, go ahead. Yeah. This means this means I give up or do you what you want because I don't care any longer. You'll get a raised eyebrow, go ahead, in just a few minutes. Followed by nothing and fine, and she will talk to you in about five minutes when she cools off. A loud sigh. <sighs> this is not an actual word, but is a nonverbal statement often misunderstood by men. A loud sigh means she thinks you are an idiot at that moment. And she wonders why she's wasting her time standing here arguing with you over nothing. Soft sigh. Again, not a word, but a nonverbal statement. Soft sigh means 
that she's content. Your best bet is not to move or breathe. <laughs> because that's the only way she will stay content. That's okay. This is one of the most dangerous statements that a woman can make to a man. That's okay means that she wants to think long and hard before paying you back for whatever it is you've done. That's okay. Is often used with the word fine. And in conjunction with a raised eyebrow, go ahead. <laughs> At some point in the near future, you are going to be in some mighty big trouble. <laughs> Please do. Please do. This is not a statement. It's an offer. A woman is giving you the chance to come up with whatever excuse or reason you have for doing whatever it is that you have done. Please do. No. You have a fair chance with the truth. So be careful. And you shouldn't get a, that's okay. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. A woman is thanking you. Do not think. Just say you're welcome. <laughs> thanks a lot. This is much different than thanks. A woman will say thanks a lot when she's really ticked off at you. It signifies that you have offended her in some callous way and will be followed by a loud sigh. <sighs> be careful not to ask what is wrong after the loud sigh as she will only tell you nothing. <laughs> and so, that's the way men and women communicate. We communicate in very different ways. We communicate with nonverbal signs, with, we communicate with words, we use hand signals, eyebrows, body language. You know, in the Bible, God is a God of communication. In fact, when you read the scriptures, he's chosen many routes through which he's going to speak to us. He's decided to speak to you and speak to me in many different ways. Think about it. He spoke to us through angels, visions, dreams, nature, creation, and supremely, Jesus Christ and his word. So that is, God has many, many different ways, just as we do, many different ways of communicating to us. Now, primarily in the day and age in which we live, God primarily communicates with us through the Word of God. But in history, if you go back to the Bible and read it, he's had lots of varieties of ways in which he's communicated to people. God is a God of communication. He's given us prayer as a means of communicating with him. God's all about communication. He wants to communicate to you, and he wants you to communicate to him. The key to our relationship with God is through His Word. That is, if you want to have, you want to know God, and you want to walk with God, you want to have an intimate relationship with God, you've got to read God's Word. That's the way that God has set it up. Anyone who rejects God's Word has no fellowship with God by his own choice. That is, you want to fellowship with God, you're going to fellowship with Him in the Scriptures. You're going to fellowship with Him right here. And God has decided to communicate to you, and God has decided to give you a means to communicate to Him, and that is prayer. And He wants it to work that way. He wants you to talk to Him. He wants to talk to you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak into your life through His Word. He wants to be able to teach and communicate everything. Listen, the Bible is not everything that God knows, but it's all that God wants you to know about Him. Okay? Everything that God, the books of the world, the volumes of the world, cannot contain all that God knows. God knows everything. But God has chosen 66 books, 66 pieces of one puzzle to reveal to you one thing. Who is the true and living God? Who is he and what's he like? And, and what does he want you to know about him? And oftentimes we come to the word of God with this concept of like, you know, well, what, what does God have for me in the word of God? Now, while God has something for you in the word of God, really, the biggest thing that God has for you in his word is him. He wants you to know him. Every book is a different piece to the puzzle of who is God. So when you read Genesis, you should ask yourself, 
who is God in the book of Genesis. He's creator God. He's covenant God. He's a God of promises. He's a God of forgiveness. Uh, we see his model through Joseph's life. Who is God in Exodus? He's a deliverer. He's one who hears the cries of his people. He leads them. He's a, a shepherd that led them through the wilderness over and over and over again. When you read the scriptures, you should be asking yourself, what does this book teach me about God? Who is he? And how does he want to communicate with me? God is big on communication. He's big on telling you about him. He's big about telling you what he wants. Listen, everything that you need to know about him and everything you need to know about living life and operating and what the will of God is and who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be like, all of that is found in the pages of this book. He's big on communication, always has been. The vehicle for intimacy with God is regular communication with him. That is, he speaks to us through his word, and we're responsible to be honest in our thoughts, our feelings, and our decisions. He listens to us, and we listen to him. God never interrupts us. He never interrupts. He listens to us. He hears what we're, we're going to say. You know, God has the ability to not only hear everybody's prayer at the same time, but God has the ability, because he's God, to give you individual attention and to concentrate on you and you alone when you're praying. God's not distracted when you're talking to him. He's not, he's not thinking about something else. He's not trying to watch the game over your shoulder. He's, he's, he's interested in what's going on in your life. And no matter who you are and where you're at, if you're talking to God, God is interested and His face is towards you and He's listening to you and He wants to hear you and He wants you to communicate with Him and He wants to communicate with you through His Word. He listens to us. That's the foundation for our walk with Him. Intimate relationship with God comes through communication. Now, if that's God's means, if God's means of being intimate with Him, of being close to Him and fellowshipping with Him, if that's the way that God has determined for you to get close to Him, how do you think God intended for us to get close and to be intimate with our, with our husband and with our wife? It's the exact same way. God's big on communication. Communication is important to Him, and He wants it to be important in our lives. Marriage is a gift from God, and it's established on the same principles. If the Lord has built a system of communication for intimacy with Him, then it stands to reason that the path to intimacy and depth of relationship in our marriage can also be found in the same pathway. That is, through communication. How well do you communicate with your spouse? Here in this passage, James has been speaking to his readers about trials and temptations that come into life. James 1 opens up with the concept, my brother, count it all joy, verse 2, when you fall into diverse temptations. The concept of temptations here in in James is not just, you know, when you're tempted to sin, it deals with trials, difficulties, and hardships. Now, he tells them why they come, why the difficulties come, why trials come. He tells them where they come from. He tells them why they come. He says, here's why they come. God's trying to build something in you. God's trying to perfect his work in your life. He's trying to develop patience and develop character in you. That's why God allows trials into our lives, because, because so that you can learn, you can grow. He says that here, uh, he says, verse 4, Let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire. God wants you to be whole. Okay? God wants you to be whole. And the only way you can be a whole and complete Christian is for God to allow difficulties to come in your life so that, so that you can learn how to deal with them and, and who he is. So he tells us why, tells us why they come. He also tells us where they come from. He says, the troubles that come into your life, are not, they don't come from God. Okay? God may allow certain things to happen. He's trying to work something out. But the truth of the matter is, we have problems because we're sinners. The 
Bible says every man is drawn. It says, let no man say, verse 13, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. That is, don't put the blame on God when you go through troubles and trials in your life. Okay, God may allow them, but the reason, the real cause for them is your own choices, bad choices. You know, a lot of times the troubles that we have in life are troubles that we bring upon ourselves. They're not something that God creates. We're, we're pretty good at creating our own troubles. We're pretty good at, at creating our own problems in our own life. And so he says, don't blame God. He says, verse 14, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So the first several, first 15, 16 verses here of this chapter is, you're going to go through trials, you're going to go through difficulties, they come, God's going to allow them to come so that you can have patience and develop a Christian character in your life. And also, they don't come from God. Literally, they come as a result of our own inability to be able to listen. Then, I'll tell you what he does. He turns around, and in beginning in verse, starting in verse number 19, over in verse 18, he starts telling us how to work through these problems. How do we navigate through these difficulties? So, not only does he tell us in this chapter exactly what, why they come and where they come from, but he tells us how to handle them. Do notice verse 18, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That's our, our verse or text today for communication. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. You know what he says You know in, in the, the following verses? He says, you know how to deal with trials? You gotta go to, you gotta communicate, gotta get communicate, gotta get the right communication with God. That is, you need the word of truth. He begat you of the word of truth, and he wants you to go to the word of God. In fact, he goes on and says, verse 23, 14, uh, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man hear of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in the glass. This is a mirror here he's talking about. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You know, the, the, the scriptures here, James makes a, a, a difference between a glance at the word and a gaze into the word. Okay? You can glance in the mirror. If you glance in the mirror, you're only going to get a few things. But listen, you turn on the lights and you gaze into the mirror, you're going to see all your problems. That's what he's talking about here. A person who glances at the Word of God does not have full understanding of his own problem, his own heart. But a person, notice what he says. It's right here. Look what he says uh, in verse number 23. For any be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way. That is, he takes a glance and he moves on. Isn't that what he says? Yeah, he just takes a peek. And he moves on. And he goes on and says, And straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. He looks at it, but he doesn't really take inventory of what's wrong. He just goes on about his business. Okay? And he takes a glance and he doesn't realize, you know, I've got this, you know, big temple that's come up overnight and and it's, you know, sitting there and it's all white and pussy. You ever seen something on somebody else that you want to fix for them? Anybody? <laughs> Amen, right? You know? You see him, you know? And you're like, and, you, and you, it's hard to talk to him, right? <laughs> because as you're talking to him, all you can see is that thing, and you're thinking about 
<laughs> Helping them with it. You know, come here. Come here. And you better back up on that one because it's going everywhere, right? You know, that kind of thing. That's the concept here. The concept is this: a person is glancing, taking a glance at it, but they go away and forget what kind of person they are. They forget the problems that they've got. Forget that they didn't shave. Forget that they didn't take care of themselves. Forget that they, they didn't, you know, ladies, forget that they didn't take care of things in the morning. My wife, the other day, we were, we were, in, a, we were in a hurry, and uh, I didn't pay attention. Uh, I know, she, I guess she didn't either. We were, we were getting ready to go out the door, and we were on our way. We're going to, I guess we are going to school class on, on Wednesday. We, we teach uh, over at Florida Baptist College on Wednesday morning. We've got to be out the door at 7. And so we're up, and, and we're, we're getting ready. And I'm gathering, gathering her, her books, and, and I got you know those 31 bags, you know those 31 bags that that will carry 400 pounds. Okay, can I can I get a witness then? Okay, I usually have to carry two just to be balanced, because uh, if I do, I'm gonna fall over. She puts so much stuff, and so I'm carrying her 31 bag out to her car. You know, be able to put it in the in the back, and, and I'm grabbing her stuff, my stuff, and we always got to carry our water with us to be able to drink. So carrying carrying water, and I got it all over. And she walks in, she's ready to go. I said, she's got her coffee and everything. And I said, okay, let's go. I said, you ready? She said, yeah. And then she comes around the corner and she goes, are you going to let me go out the door without any makeup on? And I looked at her and thought, I didn't realize you didn't have makeup on. Okay? And obviously she didn't either. Okay? So she had to grab her little red bag. Okay? And while I'm driving, she had to put her makeup on in the car. And we were on our way to class. She had gone out without any makeup on. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. She'd have gone out without painting the barn at all. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay? Anyway, so when we talk about this matter of, of glancing, it's a, a quick peek. But that's not what God wants. Look at what he says in verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. That's, there's the gaze. There's a difference between a glance and a gaze. So, again, the way we deal with our problems and our trials is we got to get in right communication with God, right? The best way to navigate through is to get into His Word. The best way to figure out what's going on is to communicate with Him. Tell Him how you're feeling and hear what His Word has to say in your life. God is big on communication. So let's go back to these key verses on communication. He's giving them here to us about how to listen to God. They're found in here in verse number 19. I want you to see verse 19, 20, and 21, because these are the, the, the keys, really, to communication. They're the keys to communicating with God, and I believe they're also the keys to communicating in our own marriage, in our own life. Notice he gives, first of all, he says the first thing that we need to do in the, in the matter of when times are difficult, okay, when you're going through a difficult time in your marriage, just as, as these people are going through trials in their own Christian life, he tells them, they're going through trials in their own Christian life, here's what you need to do. Respond decisively. That's what he says. Respond decisively. We see that here in verses 19 and 20. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, how should I respond? What is the decisive response? The decisive response contains three elements. Number one, I must be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. If you will practice that type of responsiveness in your marriage, that type of communication, okay, you will learn to communicate better. Okay, let's talk about each one of them. The first one is swift to hear. Swift to hear. What is it that we should desire to hear? Well, in context, it's the Word of God. We should, we should shut up and listen to what God has to say. We should just close our mouths and say, you know what, God, it's not important what I think. It's important what you think. 
Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 17, verse 28, Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. And then we say, oh, I don't like the word, I don't like the concept of shutting up. God says, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Okay? God says there are times when you just need to shut it down. There are times when you need to be, you don't need to be talking, you need to be listening. You need to be listening. The context here is very clear, that we need to listen to the Word of God. Now, there's a great benefit to listening to what God has to say, but we've got to sacrifice our own time speaking in order to be able to hear Him. That means you've got to be quiet. Two people cannot be talking at the same time and communicate. So you've got to eliminate your own communication with God to be able to hear Him so that He can speak. In our marriages, we need to learn to listen to our spouse. I said to the men this morning, men, I told the men, they need to listen to their wives. Not in the sense of obedience, but listen to what their wives have to say because I need my wife's input in my life. She sees things that I do not see from a perspective that I cannot understand them. She sees things sometimes before I see them. Sometimes she says things and I'm like, I don't think you're right. Okay. Other times she tells me and it highlights for me something that I need to keep an eye on and something that I need to watch. Then there's a value in listening to your wife. And wives, there's a value in listening to your husband. There's a lot of times, women, when things go bad, that, uh, that I, don't, I don't want to be mean, but you're just not very rational. <laughs> and you need somebody to be able to speak rationality into the situation. Because the situation gets inflamed because of emotion. And one of the reasons why God made a husband and God made a wife the way they made them is because a husband can see things many times divorced from emotion. Women sometimes hate that, but it is a great benefit to you. Because it will anchor you in rationality and help you see that it's not that bad. Asian and I have conversations all the time. When, when things start to escalate, they escalate very, very quickly in her mind. To the point of, I'm like, I'm just don't jump. <laughs> because that's how I feel. But when I say that to her, she knows exactly what I'm saying. When, she, when things start to escalate with her, and I say don't jump, what I mean is, you're getting ready to dump, jump off the deep end with this. And you're, we're way, way far away from you needing to jump. We're, we're not anywhere close to the edge here, but you are pushing this thing to the edge emotionally. You need to back off of this. You need to be rational. And then you need your wife because sometimes the emotion of a thing escapes you. Sometimes we don't see things as very important because we aren't attached emotionally very much. But when our wife begins to speak, we begin to say, hey, that's probably more important than what I thought it was. There's a great value in being what he says here in verse number 19, swift to hear. It's natural to think we know what other people want or need before they finish asking. And we generally assume that we have to say, what we have to say is what the other person should really be interested in hearing. Listening skills are rarely taught and generally neglected. You've spent years learning how to read and write, years learning how to speak, but what about listening? 
What training or education have you had that enables you to listen so that you really deeply understand another human being from that individual's own frame of reference? I tell you, I did not have a class in Bible college on listening. But I think they ought to teach one. Because one of the things that I have benefited from over the course of years, one of the things that, that has helped me in counseling people is just not saying anything and listening to them. I have to learn, while I think I have a lot to say, and while I think the Word of God can speak to their need, I have to be careful to let them speak in order to understand the full depth of what they're dealing with. So I have to step off sometimes and listen. I get I get that, I get this uh, when I go off the meetings and stuff. I'm not I don't I'm not the life of the party kind of person. I don't need to be the center of attention. In fact I'd rather just stand off in a corner. Some people say, well you know you just you know, I wish you'd talk a little bit more. I tell you what I like to do. I like to listen. I like to listen to people. I like to listen to what people say because you can learn a whole lot more by listening to people than you can by saying something yourself. Learn to listen to each other. Learn to communicate. We have to overcome this lack of training by focusing on the other person. Forcing ourselves to understand his or her point of view before sharing our own. Proverbs 18, verse number 13. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Okay? Hear it out. Hear them out. I know sometimes, uh, you know, guys, we don't want to listen anymore. Okay? You tell me, I don't want to listen anymore. I am tired. Of you talking to me. <laughs> I have been talked to all day long. Why can't you tell me in a short period of time? <laughs> Why do your stories last so long? I have a I have a daughter who's uh, just graduated high school, and the, the running joke with her is she can't tell a short story. Everything that she gets, everything that she starts to tell is a long story. I mean, it is a long story. So when Bree starts to speak, I'll say, Bree, how long is this story? She'll say, I have, she, she says, you'll never guess. And, I, and I, I'll preface, I'll say, listen, is this a short story? Because I only have time for a short story. Yeah, Dad, it'll be short. It's never short. It's never short. Sometimes we feel that way, right? Hey, why are you... Why are you still talking to me? Okay? You've said this a hundred different ways, and now you're saying it again. Do you not feel like I got it? Because I got it the first time that you said it to me. Can I get a witness? Amen. All right. Guys, don't say anything until you hear the whole thing. Okay? And ladies, help us out. Just say it one time. Just say it. And by the way, I told the guys, we don't get hints. We don't get it. You can drop them all day long. We don't get them. We need somebody to speak directly to us. Think that they're doing. Wait, I, listen, I, I just, just, just tell me. Don't, don't hint at what you want or hint at what you need. Just tell me, and I'm, I'll make a list. Honestly, I keep, I keep never know. Uh, always up on my phone. So that when my wife says she needs something, or she hints at needing something, I'll go, is that something that I should consider for Christmas? 
Is that something that would be good for your birthday? Well, good. And I have a whole note in Evernote called Angie's List. <laughs> it's bigger than the website. <laughs> Just tell you. I, I, I am adding to that list every day. Every day. Okay? Don't hint. Tell us. Okay? Guys, God gave you two ears and one mouth, which means he intends for you to listen twice as much as you speak. And by the way, this mouth, God put two layers of protection over it. He put two layers of protection over that thing. He put your teeth over it, and then he put some skin over it to double bind it and keep it. Because this tongue is a little member that kills a great fire. So he says, be slow. And he says, be, he says, first of all, be swift to hear. And then the second one, which we're kind of talking about, swift to speak. Proverbs 10, verse number 19, in the multitudes of words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. He that refraineth his lips is wise. Be careful with what you say and make sure that it meets the test. I'll tell you, there's a test. I learned this years ago. Uh, I don't remember where I heard it. I, I, maybe 20 years ago I heard it. But I heard somebody say, think, think before you speak. T-H-I-N-K. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? T-H-I-N-K. If it doesn't meet the criteria, don't say it. That's, not, that's helped me over the course of years. Because I go through that and I go, okay, it was true. We like that. We like to speak true. And then we go to helpful. I mean... If they received it in the right way, it should have been helpful. <laughs> right? Was it inspiring? I feel better about it. I mean, is it necessary? Well, I felt it was very necessary to speak my mind. Right? There's a lot of people that want to give you a piece of their mind, but they don't have any to spare. Right? Is it kind? That's where I get, okay. No, it's not fine. I should probably not say it, or I probably shouldn't say it that way. Listen, be careful with the tone of what you what you say, because it could make the situation worse. Okay, it's not always about what you say; it is the tone of what you say. Tone, okay. Be careful with response, okay. Be careful with how you respond. It's, it's, it's sometimes it's not about what you say; it's about the way that it comes out. Are, are, anybody experienced this? Okay, you're like why well, did I didn't? You know, like and then the, the inflame the situation gets inflamed, and you go and you, and you like, but well, you said this, and you say I didn't really mean it, but it came out like that, and you, you're like, I know that it came out that way, and I'm I'm no fun. <laughs> There's just no way to fix it once it gets out there. The ancients have some sayings on this subject, which are well worthy of our attention. It says men have two ears but one tongue that they should hear more than they speak. The ears are always open, ever ready to receive instruction. But the tongue is surrounded with double row of teeth to hedge it in and to keep it within proper bounds. That's the way God made us, physically. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 20, Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. When you're hasty to speak, when you're quick to speak, it just reveals your foolishness. 
my uh, my pastor used to say, my pastor used to say, rather than rather than if you're in a situation and you don't know what to do, if you don't know what to say, just grunt. Okay? If you can't grunt, just nod. Okay? And if you can't nod, just stand there and look like you don't know what you're doing. Okay? Some people say it's better to not say anything than to open your mouth and remove all doubt of your foolishness. Okay? So, again, it's important that we get these principles of communication. What are you building when you use your words? Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You can speak death or life into someone's life just by using your tongue. They say slow to wrath. Slow to wrath. An angry outburst never helped a situation resolve. Can you ever remember a time when you got angry and it made things better? Stop for a minute. You got mad, and you said what was on your mind, and things just automatically just made it. It was exactly the way you wanted it after you got angry. No, this just doesn't help. That's why he says, notice he says, verse 20, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. The, the, the wrath of man is antithetical to being righteous and living a godly and holy life, or getting things accomplished for God. You can't get things accomplished for God in anger. You can't. The Bible speaks about it all the time. Think about, think about David. When David was confronted with the story of the man who had stolen the other person's lamb, okay, when he had slept with Bathsheba, remember, remember Nathan comes to him and he says, Thou art the man, and he, and, and he points his finger at David and says, David, you're the one. Remember what David did? David, David, when David heard the story, he got angry. And then in his anger... He pronounced what he thinks is judgment. He pronounces what he thinks is judgment upon the person who has committed this crime, but really he pronounced judgment upon himself and his own household. Out of his anger, he did that. He said fourfold. David lose four children as a result of his own pronouncement. Four of his own sons would die as a result of his sin. So understand, nothing ever good happens. He's got angry, David got angry and pronounced judgment upon himself. James has already taught us that God is trying to produce a patience and endurance in us. But wrath is quick to jump to conclusions and make foolish decisions. Consider Moses. Remember what Moses did? God gave him a picture of the rock. And he went up to the rock and the first time he smote the rock and water came out. And then the second time he went to the rock, God told him, he said, I want you to smite it this time. I want you to speak to it. The rock was a picture of Jesus Christ. The rock was a picture of what God was going to do. That is, Christ is only crucified once. Okay, The picture in the Old Testament. And so he goes to the rock the first time and he smites it. And the second time he's supposed to speak to it. But the people have made him so so furious and so angry with their murmuring and their complaining about being in the wilderness. Rather than speaking to the rock, he hits it in anger and loses. Loses. Man loses when he gets angry. Listen, uh, if man loses, it's you know it's it's hard to save face when you lose your head. Keep yourself under control. I used to struggle mightily with anger. Uh, when I when I was younger, and even into the first few years of our marriage, I was just angry. I mean, angry to just I don't know, angry just oh, there was always this little 
river of lava that was flowing underneath. And it didn't take much for it to erupt. Punch things, put my arms, ball arms and things, break doors and I mean I was just I was just angry. And really I didn't know why. And I realized as I was as I was, as the Lord had called me to ministry that, that I could not continue either in my own home or have effective ministry with that anger. So I began to work at asking the Holy Spirit to help me to be temperate and have temperance, to, to bring myself under control, spirit control. Temperance is more than self-control. It's spirit control. Allowing myself to control that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll tell you, that, that river is still there. It's just way deeper now. Got to, it, it's got to, a lot of drilling has to be done in order to be able to get there. It used to be right on the surface. It's very difficult to be able to control these things, slow to wrap. So he says, he says, first off, in the matter of communication, we need to respond decisively. Then he says, we need to reject which is that, that which is defiled. Verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your, save your soul. So, not only do we need to, to respond in a decisive way, but we need to reject that which is that which is wicked. The best way to keep communication open in your... Listen, when there is sin present in your home, communication is going to break down. It's going to break down. You can't be, a, you can't be in, in right relationship with God, and you cannot be in right relationship with your spouse when you are out, when you are out of fellowship and you are walking in darkness. First John tells us very clearly, you can't say that you walk with God when you're walking in darkness. Those two things are incompatible with one another. It's not possible. So if you're going to walk with God, if you're going to walk with right relationship with your spouse, listen, by the way, all of our horizontal relationship is predicated on being in a right relationship with God. So every horizontal relationship is dependent upon our vertical relationship. If I am right with God, then I can be, not I will be, but if I'm right with God, then I will want to be, and I have the ability to be right with others. If I am not right with God, I cannot walk in right relationship. That's what James is trying to teach the people here. Lay aside all this wickedness and all this sin that you're involved in, because the Word of God cannot take root in your life. God cannot speak to your life and speak to your heart when it's cluttered up with sin. When there's, when there's wickedness in there, that wickedness, that iniquity, has to be gotten out and excised in order for good things to be able to make their way in. So he deals with that. By the way, this is like, the whole concept here is like, like taking weeds and rocks out of something before you plant. He talks about in verse 20, receive with meekness the engrafted word. That is, he's talking about the planting of the seed. We'll get to that in just a second, but planting of the seed. But really, it's not really about the planting of the seed. Before the seed gets planted, the field has to be cleared. And that's what he's talking about here. Get the rocks, get the weeds, get, the, get that junk out of your life so that God can plant the seed because God can't speak to you. Nothing can grow in your life. Nothing good will grow in your life with all that sin and all those rocks and all those weeds that you're allowing to grow. You've got to get rid of it. Men, if you're involved in something and looking at things and listening to things that you ought not to be looking for, you can't be in right relationship with your wife while those things are going on. You can't. You can't be in right relationship, ladies, with your husbands, when you're out talking about him and disrespecting him and treating him like dirt, you, you just can't do it. When there's sin in our lives, it, it prevents us from having the right relationships that we're supposed to have. You've got to be right with God. Then he goes on, he says, receive the word with death. 
So not only must we reject what is defiled, we must receive with death. I like to say that's something I want to get to here as we close, but receive the word with death. He says, uh, he says, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. The word of God needs to take root and depth in our lives. We need to communicate with our spouse in a deep and meaningful way. Okay? Depth. If you want depth in your relationship, depth comes from God. It comes from the Word of God. The goal is to listen, and listening moves us to action. It's that way in our faith, and it should be that way in our marriage. Too many words are said that lead to no action. Too often times we talk, but nothing gets done. Okay? Don't be one of those people who just talks about things. Well, I'm glad we had this talk. Did anything happen when you talk? Did anything get resolved? Okay? Establish some depth to your communication. So again, when he deals with the matter of communication, this is the way God communicates to us, but it's also the way a good principle for us communicating with our spouse. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, get rid of this garbage, get rid of this junk in our lives, and then let the Word of God and let the communication take deep root in us and clear out the field so that it can take root of where it needs to go. That is the process of God's communication to us. It's also the great process of our communication with our spouses. Listen, there's only so far that your physical relationship with God can go. Listen, if you picture God as the goal and a husband and a wife, listen, as a husband and a wife, they want to come together. That's the desire. The desire for husband and wife is so they too can come together and become one flesh. I'm going to tell you, you can only get so close on a physical level. You can only get so close this way. But if, if both the husband and the wife will move towards God, and continue to move in relationship and communication and intimacy towards Him. Here's what happens. The distance between us begins to grow smaller as we both grow toward the likeness of Christ. So again, the key to greater intimacy is not on, the, not on a physical level, but on a greater level that God wants us to have in that spiritual union. is about both of us seeking God and pursuing God. And as we do that, the distance between us is shortened and we can then make that communication. It's the only way it can happen. Now, I'll tell you, as we close, when divorced couples were asked, why did your marriage fail? 86% of them said deficient communication. If that's true, then communication in marriage must be extremely important. So the problem is we have unhealthy patterns that develop in our lives that, to, that, that we need to get rid of. So what are these unhealthy patterns? I want, so I want to talk, I want to finish with and health, the unhealthy patterns can be remembered. This is from Dr. Gary Chapman, uh, who wrote a book on building communication and intimacy in your in your marriage. I found it to be helpful. I want to share it with you as, as I close. Okay, so unhealthy patterns can be remembered by comparing it to four different kinds of birds. You can think of four fowls. Okay, four fowls. Four fowls: the dove, the hawk, the owl, and the ostrich. Now, these unhealthy patterns of communication, you will find yourself in one or a combination. Of these. Okay, here they are. The dove. The unhealth, unhealthy pattern of the dove says this. The dove says, I want peace at any price. In this pattern, one partner placates the other in order to avoid his or her wrath. You're the person that just doesn't want to make the other person angry. If I say this, he's going to fly off, off, off the handle. If I tell him, he's going to get angry. If I tell this to her, all she's going to do is yell and go off. Typical dove statements are things like this. That's fine with me. Whatever makes you happy makes me happy. The dove is always trying to please the other person, often apologizing, even for little things that may have stimulated the anger of the spouse. 
The devil almost never disagreed with his or her spouse, no matter how they feel. In his efforts to avoid conflict and maintain his own sense of emotional stability and safety, the, the dove has relinquished all possibility of intimacy. This is a classic example of what happens to those who emulate the dove. Peace at any price carries a high price tag indeed. The dove. Then, there's the hawk. The hawk, the dove says, I want, I want to fix this no matter what the cost. I want peace at any price. The hawk is the person that says it's your fault. The hawk blames her, his, his or her spouse for everything. The blamer is the boss, the dictator, the one in charge who never does any wrong. Typical hawk statements are things like this. You never do anything right. You always botch it up. I don't understand how you could be so stupid. If it weren't for you, everything would be fine. All of us know that no one can be wrong all the time while the other is always right. However, in this pattern of communication in the hawk, the facts are considered unimportant. Hawks seldom wait for an answer to their accusations. The important thing to them is not what the other thinks, but their own judgment, which is better. Are you dove? Are you hawk? Thirdly, is the owl. The owl says, let's be reasonable. Let's be reasonable. The owl is Mr. or Mrs. Mr. Or Mrs. Calm, cool, and collected. This person shows no feelings, no emotion. He or she says the right words, reveals no emotional reaction when their spouse disagrees with them. He's more like a computer than a person. Owls give you logical answers to every question. They calmly explain anything about which you have a question. They make it sound so reasonable that you will wonder how anyone could have thought otherwise. An owl usually thinks of himself as being reasonable and intelligent. He prides himself on not showing emotion, and when the other person shows emotion, he calmly sits until the storm is over and then proceeds with his reasoning. What is going on inside the owl will vary from person to person, but commonly, this individual feels vulnerable inside. Her efforts at being ultra-reasonable are designed primarily to convince herself of her worth and of her intellectual abilities. It is a comp compensation for feeling of inadequacy about herself. If she can control her feelings, if she can reason her way through something, if he can reason his way through, he feels emotion emotionally secure. Thus, the pattern serves as an emotional function for her, but it is an unhealthy function in the marriage relationship. The dove, the hawk, the owl, and the ostrich. The ostrich is the fourth. The ostrich says, ignore it, and it'll go away. Let's just not deal with it at all. The ostrich's pattern of communicating basically ignores the other person's actions and comments, especially if he finds them disagreeable. The ostrich seldom responds directly to what the other person says. He doesn't respond negatively, he just simply doesn't respond. He changes the subject and moves on to something totally unrelated to what the spouse just said. The ostrich is an activist. If he's a talker, he'll rattle on and on about nothing related to anything. If he's a doer, rather than a talker, then he'll constantly be involved in activity, but most of the activities will not be related to each other. If you ask a question about what he's doing, 
you will not get a direct response because he's not sure how what he is doing fits in with anything else. The ostrich often develops a sing-song approach to talking. Often, the inflection of his voice is out of tune with his words. You can interrupt him, make your own comments, and he'll start talking again unrelated to what you just said or what you were saying beforehand. His conversations go in all directions and seldom reach any conclusion. It's hard to keep them on task. So the question is, which of the four fowls are you? I find myself in these as well. The way that I act, or the way that I behave, the way I respond, in an unhealthy, unbiblical, ungodly way, in my marriage, I find in these birds. I find myself. I'm not just, I have a couple that I, that, that I, that I am kind of a hybrid. Okay? I'm my own bird. Okay? The truth of the matter is, you are your own bird as well. The question is, where do you fit in? Now, your spouse, I'll tell you, if you'll ask your spouse, they'll tell you where you fit in. You may not like it, but they'll tell you, because they know. Sometimes I think we have hard trouble diagnosing ourselves, but when we listen to those descriptions, we go, that's my husband. That's my wife. You know they're unhealthy. When God talks about communication, he wants us to do it in the right way, a biblical way. Okay, Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Getting rid of the junk and the garbage in our life and allowing the word and the words of our spouse to hit a deeper level than what they've ever done before. The only way that can happen is through proper communication and diagnosis of what's going on. Don't just sit and talk about it. I know some of you are going to be leaving here shortly going to lunch. Take some time on the drive home today and honestly ask and let your spouse evaluate what bird you are. Do it. Okay? Don't be a chicken. <laughs> be a dove. Be an owl. Be a hawk. Be an ostrich. Okay? Recognize, and chicken's the word of all the birds. Okay? Be one of those other four. And let let and kind of talk through how you can stop reacting and behaving in that way and how you can implement some of the things that James gives us here in this passage.